Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim kings and kingdoms will all pass away but there's something about that name his name is wonderful his name is wonderful his name is wonderful jesus my lord he is the mighty king master
Okay, so Christina Childress, she had, she's tested positive for COVID. Well, she was in Masters Club on Wednesday, but then with Eli Maynard was just coughing all over her. So we don't know, I don't know if anybody's heard about them. But so, but I mean, that was Wednesday. So it was like Silas was kind of stuffy, but it's not like he's sick. And so, just because of the nursery and just the, you know, fucking that. And so, my wife, and so I had, I was coming early just to try and make sure things were lined up here. Otherwise, otherwise, Gala would have been here. So, that's just, it's just one of those things more of just nobody's sick, nobody's got a fever, nobody's got nothing. So, you know, we don't, we don't fellowship with anybody, so we're not exposed. Page number 20, when I see the blood. Page number 20, when I see the blood.
Amen. This is a great hymn written by kind of an obscure hymn writer by the name of John Foote. He wrote this hymn back in the late 1800s, and he specifically said, I don't want this copyrighted. I'm not trying to make any money off of this, and I want to make this hymn available for anyone to sing, anyone to publish free of charge, because all he cared about was the message. And of course, if you're familiar with Exodus chapter number 12, the Passover and Christ being our Passover, what a great biblical hymn, and it's a pleasure and a privilege to be able to sing it here this morning. Welcome to the service here this morning. Welcome all of you live stream listeners. I know we've got a lot more live stream listeners and watchers today because we've had, uh, unfortunately, a little bit of a COVID outbreak among our families, and so... Uh, uh, I have asked people who have it in their home to quarantine and to just stay away and uh, give an opportunity for this maybe to pass through without uh, uh, endangering anyone. So uh, those of you that are here, we appreciate you being here and trust that God will bless you for it. All of you that are watching on live stream, we ask a special blessing uh, for you as well. Let's continue on this second verse, uh, When I See the Blood. All right, again, page number 20, again, page number 20 in your hymn book, When I See the Blood, on the second, here we go. Chiefest of sinners, Jesus can save, as he had promised, so will he do. Oh, sinner, hear him, trust in his word, and he will pass, will pass over you. a new song, and I want to do this. I know we sing Hold the Fort where you grab your Bibles. This song, we're also going to grab our Bibles, all right? So uh, we'll go through this song first, um, myself and Anne, if you want to kind of follow along and kind of get the tune in your head. And if you look on the top of the next page, there's that last line, we are on the Lord's side, Savior, we are thine. That is where you'll raise your Bible up. We are on the Lord's side, all right? So grab your Bibles in your opposite hand there. And again, when we get to that last line of the chorus, we are on the Lord's side, Savior, we are thine, all right? We'll go through one verse here, and then we'll come through together and sing the song from the top here. On the, here's a, so we get the tune in our heads. Page 406. Oh, I'm sorry, time out. Did I say what page? I'm sorry, page 406. 
Let's do that all over again. 406. Page 406. All right, here's the tune on the first. Who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the King? Who will be His helpers? Other lives to bring. Who will leave the world's side? Who will face the foe? Who is on the Lord's side? Who for Let's go ahead. We'll start over at the top, sing the whole song from the top. And again, if you weren't here, have your Bibles ready. Or even just raise your songbook on that very last part. We are on the Lord's side, Savior. We are thine. Okay, here we go. From the top. On the first. Here we go. Who is on the Victory 
seated. That's a great hymn. Fairly new to me. I've heard others sing it. I think it might have been a Ron Hamilton song, if I'm not mistaken, but a great hymn, and I enjoyed singing it. I hope you did as well. By way of announcements, uh, first of all, I wanted to say thank you for your cooperation with the uh, COVID situation. Uh, you are looking at probably the most, uh, the saddest person regarding uh, how today has went. I have been so enjoying not worrying about COVID and not wearing a mask and not having to worry about everybody and everything and all that, getting back to normal. And hopefully, Lord willing, this is just a minor setback. We'll get through this pretty quickly. Uh, I have noticed here in the last few weeks that um, this particular strain, whatever it might be, is uh, pretty, uh, very contagious. The young people, children seem to be getting it a lot. And so that certainly makes it um, easier to spread when the young people get it. But uh, so far, I'm not aware of a lot of people having uh, any serious reactions. It seems like most people are getting a fever uh, the first day, day and a half, um, 101, 101 and a half. And then uh, after that fever, they seem to be having pretty mild symptoms. But uh, everyone reacts to it differently. There's a lot that we don't know about that. And so uh, I realize that probably what we're dealing with right now is not any worse than the flu virus, but there's just too many unknowns. And so as a pastor who cares about all of his flock, uh, we're doing what we can to go forward for the Lord but still uh, use a little bit of common sense and judgment and protect one another so that uh, people don't get sick that uh, that really uh, wouldn't be able to handle it very well because of their age or their health condition. So once again, thank you for your understanding. I'm sure that if you put yourself in a leader's shoes, you would recognize that, hey, it's hard to make decisions that are best for everyone involved. And I promise you that uh, these decisions are not made without prayer and uh, without a, a lot of um, anxiety. And uh, that's a, there's a little bit of pun behind that. You'll find out here in just a little while. So by way of announcements, uh, tonight's service we are canceling, and uh, that means kids' choir and everything that's going on that just reduces the risk uh, at least a little bit, and hopefully we can um, get through this and not have to uh, continue to worry about it. And then um, Monday, uh, tomorrow, we had a widow's meeting scheduled. Uh, we're going to go ahead and cancel that. That will be rescheduled here. Um, we'll have information for that in the near future. Right now, as of now, if we don't have any additional uh, cases of COVID or exposure, then uh, we'll continue with our Wednesday night service, uh, Bible study and prayer meeting at 7 Master Club and Youth Group as well. And so as of now, that's what the plan is. Make sure that you're on our church cast system. If you did not receive a call this morning, please let Sister Christina know. Where is Christina? She is out in the foyer. And so please let her know. She'll be out in the foyer after the service and we'll be sure and get you added to that church cast list. Uh, Saturday, 8 in the morning, is men's prayer meeting, and then 9 a.m., we still plan on loading up in the fellowship van, or if you'd like to carpool, we're going to head to Charlotte, to the Charlotte Motor Speedway, and uh, we're going to spend about an hour, hour and a half doing our street ministry down there. There's going to be a lot of people. We're going to hold signs, and we're going to pass out gospel tracts. We're just going to limit it to that. Men, women, listen, parents, if you want to bring 
your children. I wouldn't recommend real small children, uh, but, uh, you know, children that are able to hand out tracts, it's a great opportunity to train them, give them experience in getting the gospel out. And um, the fact of the matter is, is people tend to take tracts from children that they wouldn't take from us. And so it's very effective. And so uh, you're welcome to bring your children. If you have any questions about that, uh, see myself or uh, Brother Glenn or Brother Terry, and if we don't have the answers, we will do our best to get those answers for you. All right, we do have some uh, some little handout flyers, little cards, if you will, that are advertising our um, Vacation Bible School. And our Vacation Bible School is going to be June 27th through the 30th. Our theme is Alpine Ascent, and um, so grab some of these, start handing them out and promoting it and encouraging people that you know. You may have neighborhood kids, you may have grandchildren, nieces, nephews, anyone that you know. Try to get them to our vacation Bible school. We've got a lot of planning and preparing and prayer that's going into this. And uh, we believe that God is going to do a great work through Vacation Bible School. We weren't able to have it last year, and so we're going to pull out all the stops to try to get the word out and make sure that anyone and everyone knows about our Vacation Bible School. And listen, uh, parents will schedule Vacation Bible School for their kids. And so start getting the word out now. Don't wait until the week before Vacation Bible School to start uh, start laboring and trying to uh, fill up our vacation Bible school with children. And then, oh, one last thing. We're talking about getting the seed out of the barn. And if you're new around here, that's what this table full of gospel tracts is all about. We have a challenge that we accepted at our missions conference last month that by the grace of God, by the end of this summer, we're going to have all of these tracts out of the barn, out of the church, and out distributed to people. And so uh, we encourage you to be faithful, handing out tracts, leaving them where people can get them anywhere and everywhere. But we also are doing some mail-outs. We did this at our ladies' event uh, last month, and uh, we have some packets for you out in the foyer, and packets of 10, and we encourage you, if you would be willing, to handwrite some cards or notes and mail some tracts to, we have some addresses and names that we can do that. You can do this in your free time. And so all of the packet, the tracts and everything is provided in packets of 10. Now, here's the thing. The church is happy to provide the postage. We have stamps out there, but we're also saying that as an option, if you would like the added blessing, then uh, you can... Pay for the stamps. Just uh, we're rounding it up to six dollars. Just give Christina six dollars, and uh, if you don't have it, the money, but you want to pay for the postage, then you can always drop that in uh, in the box out there. That is entirely between you and the Lord. No pressure whatsoever. We're just giving you the added option of the added blessing. So I think that covers all of our bases by way of announcements here today. So let's sing our last congregational hymn. Let's stand. Hymn number 96, God Leads Us Along. All right, page number 96, page number 96. So sweet, God. 
leads his dear children along. Where the water's cold flow bathes the weary one's feet, God leads his dear children along. Some through the water and some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. Sometimes on the mount where the sun shines so bright, God leads his dear children along. Sometimes in the valley in darkest of night, God leads his dear children along. Some through the water and some through the flood. Some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season. children along. Through grace we can conquer, defeat all our foes. God leads his dear children along. Some through the water and some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow seated. Take your Bibles, go to the book of Luke, Luke's gospel, chapter number 12, here this morning. While you're turning to our passage and text in Luke, I want to read something. I put this in a text box at the top, at the top of my notes, and it's Psalm 131 and verse number 1. And I'm going to read it to you, and I'm also going to remind myself before this message, because the message you know, we just sang about God leads us along. And I was thinking about here this morning, and I have been, I've had this particular sermon today on my heart and preparing for uh, well over three weeks. And I've been pre- preparing and praying for this day. 
And then as we've seen, COVID hits and uh, we had, at my home, we had problems with the PowerPoint and all different things. In fact, tragedy hit my home last night. We found out that our Jif peanut butter that we bought at Costco had a salmonella recall. Now, if you know our home, peanut butter doesn't last very long in our house. So we'd already eaten an entire jar of it until we found out about the recall. And I just think, man, the devil is working. He's attacking our peanut butter. Terrible. This is a sign of the end times, no doubt. But I thought about all the things that are going on. And I'm like, Lord, why why everything just unraveling when I've just had such a burden for today's message, and as we were singing that song, I was reminded that God leads us along, and you know what? He knows what's best, and I thought, you know, maybe some of our live stream watchers here today, maybe because the topic today is a very private and a personal topic, uh, maybe perhaps the live stream will actually be a better venue where you can listen to the information and not have to be filtering it through all the mental and emotional chatter that comes along with it and uh, wondering, you know, is there some type of a hidden meaning or context or do they know about my life and so forth. And I promise you that none of today's message has anything to do with anything that I happen to know or be privy to as a pastor. This is a an issue that I see more and more that is universal and at some point or another in life, I think that everybody deals with this even more so today than days gone by. And I'll tell you what it is here in just a moment. But first, this is a preface or a, um, actually I already just said the preface, but Psalm 131, verse number one, Lord, my heart is not haughty nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. As a pastor, as a preacher, a man of God, I am reminding myself of what David said, that it's not our place to go into areas that are too lofty for us. And I want to promise you ahead of time that if I say anything in this message today that causes you pain or confusion, then I promise you that uh, somewhere or another, the devil's probably taking and twisting it, or you're missing the context of what's being said. And so having said all that, let's read our text, Luke's Gospel, chapter number 12, and beginning in verse number 22, the, the scripture says, and he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit, if I could call a time out. I wonder how many of you have experienced the same thing that I experienced, that I've got a problem, I've got an issue that I'm dealing with, and I know that I can't fix it, and I know that there's nothing I can do about it, but I still 
think about it, I mull it over in my mind, I wring it out, I wake up in the middle of the night, and even in the middle of my prayer, I stop praying and I start hashing it out before God. I'm sure that most of you, you probably deal with the same thing. You try to tune it out, you try to shut it off, but it just seems like you keep thinking. Jesus says, why are you worrying? Why are you thinking about it? Because you're not going to be able to do anything about it. Verse 26, if ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field, tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye, watch this, of a doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. Your father knoweth that ye have need of these things. What burden do we carry that God doesn't know more about it than we do? Now, the Lord makes a distinguishing factor here. He says the world, they're, they're going to worry about stuff because that's all that they have. If they can't solve their problems, they have no one else that can. No one's going to take care of them but them. But the Lord is saying to us, his children, hey, I got this. It's okay. Verse number 31, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old. A treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. My message title is really quite simple, kind of plain. But I want to speak to you this morning on victory over anxiety. Let's pray and ask that the Lord would bless our time and the message today. Lord, uh, thank you for your goodness and grace. And while today's a little bit out of the ordinary and we've got some sick folk and we've got some people who are uh, certainly in danger of becoming sick, we ask that in your goodness and mercy and sovereignty that you would protect us, Lord, that this sickness would be contained and would spread to no one else. And Lord, regardless of what has happened today, Lord, bless this message to those that have come Lord, we ask a special blessing. We ask a special blessing to those that are watching on live stream and perhaps maybe in the future someone who would find this message on live stream. May it, may it be a life-changing uh, message in their life. And we know that only the Holy Spirit can do that work and we ask that you would in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage I just read is also recorded in Matthew's gospel in chapter 6, verse 25 through verse number 34, but I specifically chose Luke's record of Jesus' teaching for this very phrase. If you look once again in verse number 32, the Lord says in Luke's gospel, 
Fear not, little flock. Now, I don't know how that makes you feel here this morning, but the terminology when Jesus says, fear not, little flock, I sense not only what Jesus is saying, but I certainly sense the feeling that he has behind it. He's letting all of us know that, you know what, you're my little flock. You've got some weaknesses, you've got some problems, and I'm not here to condemn you for your struggles. I'm here to let you know that I care and that I'm here to help you. I'm glad to be one of the Lord's little flock here today. I'm glad that even though I get older, even though I'm a man, even though I'm a husband, I'm a father, even though I've been a leader and have had responsibility, all of these things, we never should get past that childlike faith of, hey, we're all just part of God's little flock. We've all seen church bulletin bloopers, and this one I I like especially. It says, don't let anxiety kill you. Let the church help. That's an actual blooper, by the way. And yet, truthfully, truthfully, a good church can indeed help with anxiety. Trisha Hardy was nine when her, uh, when she, uh, her parents divorced and her whole world was turned inside out. For the next 15 years, she would suffer anxiety disorder, constantly feeling like hiding from everyone or running away. Medication only made her problems worse and it seemed like no one believed her or understood how she felt inside. She was terrified of any change. She tried to learn to fake happiness outwardly, but inside she was miserable. In high school, a friend invited her to church where she heard the gospel and eventually asked Christ to be her savior. Even with Jesus living inside her, she still struggled physically and mentally from her anxiety. She always had to be in a relationship because she was terrified of being alone or being a left uh, being left alone with her thoughts. In her mid-twenties, she moved to South Carolina, and her and her husband found a church that provided teaching, support, and service opportunity that helped her uh, give her victory over her anxiety disorder. She finally understood her identity in Christ and her purpose to give and serve. She was able to let her guard down and be herself. She felt like she fit in for the first time in her life. The darkness, as she called it, still tries to creep in at times. But she said, I know that Jesus will guide me through it. And so who gets anxiety? And listen, for simplicity's sake, we will call all forms of it just simply anxiety here today. What do you call a dinosaur with anxiety disorder? A nervous rex. Ah. So we can call it anxiety, worry, fear, stress, or whatever. But the fact is that it is way more common than we think. You know, there are even people that suffer from it that don't even know it. They bottle it. They repress it. They are calm and laid back outwardly, but a storm is going on in their soul. 
I believe that there are a lot of people that suffer from anxiety and they don't, I mean, if you ask, are you stressed? Are you worried? No, no, I'm fine. It's become a way of life to just bottle it up and they don't even recognize it. They can't describe it. And isn't it common that sometimes uh, because we are so fearfully and wonderfully made and sometimes complex, we don't even understand ourselves. Thank God we know somebody that understands us better than we do, and that's God. Genetics can make a person more susceptible to anxiety. We know that. Different people are wired different ways, and while we all have it at times, uh, some people are more susceptible to it. Tragedy or trauma can certainly trigger it. Experiencing long-term or intense mental and emotional stress, we call that PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Oftentimes we relate PTSD to a soldier and one who has been in battle. But the fact of the matter is, is you can go through grief, you can lose a loved one, and that can give you PTSDs just as much as a soldier who has lost some of his buddies or went through traumatic experiences on the battlefield. We find that successful, highly motivated people often have uh, anxiety disorder. Someone once said, he said, I used to suffer from depression, but through hard work, persistence, and never giving up, I now suffer from anxiety and depression. (laughs) Sometimes people are just wired a certain way, the strong sense of responsibility or a constant or excessive need for approval. And that in turn can just magnify anxiety in our lives. Listen, when an event happens in life that we didn't want to happen, a death, a change, a move, a hurt, we realize how little control that we have. We didn't want that to happen to us. And because it happened, we realized that, hey, I don't, I didn't have control over that. And so maybe I don't have control over anything. What happens is we become afraid of fear. Some people, when they experience that emotion, they try to tighten the screws down as tight as they can in their life. Others give up on life and throw the screwdriver out altogether. They just quit. Hey, if I can't control everything, then I'm not going to try to control anything. They become irresponsible. And yet the feelings of anxiety and the disorder just continue to produce unhappiness and an internal misery. What are some symptoms of anxiety? Well, worry, nervousness, restlessness, tension, A strong sense of impending danger, panic, if you will. My boyfriend just left me because of my anxiety disorder. Oh, never mind, he just went to get a cup of coffee. (laughs) A storm in our mind, we see things that aren't there. All through those glasses of anxiety and something that's a nothing all of a sudden becomes a life-threatening event. At least it does in our soul. We feel weak and tired habitually, which really is just the precursor to depression. 
I find that depression and anxiety are common partners. I've also learned from personal experience as well as observation that hurting people can potentially become excessively self-centered. You might find this a little cute. Someone said, this morning my wife asked me if I had any of that dark stuff today. I admitted that between the pandemic, the Biden administration, the gas prices, I've been feeling a paralyzing mixture of anxiety and depression. She replied, no, I'm putting a load of laundry in. I don't know if y'all are with me on this here this morning. Seriously, though, anxiety can be paralyzing. We start to worry about things that we can't control, which prevents us or distracts us from dealing with the things that we can control. And so the next question is this, and we all, this is the elephant in the living room, we all want to know, is anxiety a sin or is it simply a physiological order? I know you want the answer, don't you? Well, here's the answer. Yes, no, maybe, all of the above. It can be very complex. But I will say this, the emotion of anxiety stems from the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 10, Adam said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. This is the first appearance of fear. Adam heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden after he had sinned. And instead of coming out and running to God and saying, God, let's have fellowship today. Teach me some things. Let's have a good time and a good walk together. Adam heard his voice and he hid. He didn't want to have to face God. Anything which we allow, please listen to this. Anything we allow in our life to which God said don't can certainly be classified as a sin. And victory certainly starts with identifying and accepting our responsibility. That's where it starts. I want to repeat that. Victory certainly starts with identifying and accepting our responsibility. If you won't take responsibility for your behavior, then you're not going to have victory. Or if you have any victory, it's not going to be lasting. It's going to be a facade. It's going to be like sticking your head in the sand like an ostrich and pretending. And down deep in your soul, you're going to know that it's not true and it's not real. Even though it starts with identifying and accepting... I believe this, focusing on the sinful aspect of anxiety is seldom helpful. Yeah, it starts there, but staying there is not going to be helpful any more than classifying a physical injury as sinful is going to help the healing process. Yeah, I busted my ankle. Brother, Brother Glenn, he busted his ankle playing hockey as well. We're in the busted ankle hockey club. Do you know when I busted that ankle, I, they put it, they did surgery, they put some screws and some pins in, and I've got a cast, and so I'm walking on crutches. 
And you know what? My body had to heal. And even after the healing, there are still times where I can feel certain weather situations where I'll get a little inflammation right there in that ankle and I can feel those pins protruding just a little bit underneath the skin and I can just, I'm aware that I had that injury. It doesn't hinder me. I can, I'm fully functional. I can play sports. I can do different things, but I'm aware that I'm not a hundred percent. But you know what? If I just totally focused and thought, you know what? I shouldn't have been where I was and playing hockey. I made a mistake. I should have stopped better and I should have done it. If I'm beating myself up over that and that's all that I focus on, how in the world is that helping the healing process? And in the same way, when we allow the devil or other people to just keep beating us over the head about anxiety. And by the way, if you know someone, let's say that you don't suffer from anxiety, but you know someone that does. Do you know how unhelpful it is for you to just tell them, oh, just stop worrying about it. What's the matter with you? They're already feeling broken and weak or sick. And all you're doing is just reminding them of how broken and how sick and weak they are. Now they're worried about what you think of them. Compounding the effect. It doesn't do any good to focus on the why. Much of it, uh, excuse me, much if not most of our anxiety could be eliminated if we would just get back to God's plan for our lives. Deuteronomy 28 and verse number 67, the Lord is telling the children of Israel, if you don't follow me, if you don't, if you don't trust me, and you just go your own way, here's what's going to happen. He didn't tell them, I'm going to strike you dead with lightning. He said, you're going to have some natural results. He said, in the morning thou shalt say, would God it were even. And at even thou shalt say, would God it were morning. For the fear of thine heart, wherewith thou shalt fear, and for the sight of thine eyes, which thou shalt see. And you can read Deuteronomy 28, and there's a whole lot more that the Lord said. But there is an internal verdict, a conscience defilement that we know that we went astray. And the best thing that we can do to cure or to fix that anxiety is to be willing to humble ourselves and get back on track and start trusting the Lord once again. Don't get too comfortable. Sometimes people get so comfortable with their anxiety that if they don't feel anxious, then that makes them worry. Sounds kind of strange, but that's just the reality of it. Here's an anonymous testimony. This gentleman said, Looking back at the past with peace was possible when I stripped it from investigations, regrets, blame, and pity. My testimony isn't about how I solved the mysteries behind my suffering, why it happened, who or what was to blame, nor is it about how I fought my way out or how awful it was for me. My testimony is about pointing out the fact that God is sovereign and that He is good. Looking at the present with joy was possible only when I stripped away expectations, assumptions, and ingratitude. 
My testimony isn't about how God met all of my goals and did it all according to my designs and to my satisfaction. It is about pointing to the fact that God is all-knowing and wise. I am free to rejoice in every step I take by God's grace. Looking to the future with hope is possible when it is stripped from confusion, uncertainty, fear, and doubt. My testimony isn't about looking forward to happily ever after here, but rather in heaven. When I can know about my future, what I can know about my future is that God will be there with me and that he loves me with an everlasting love. He is my protector and provider. And so the why, yeah, it's, I'm not saying it's not of value. It is important. We need to be able to look in the mirror or do a self-examination and say, hey, why why am I afraid? But there's some of that that we're not going to understand. Some of it is just the snowball effect. And until we start at least getting back on track for the Lord regarding the things that we do know, there's going to be so much clutter in our emotions that we're not going to be able to see clearly. But listen, God will lead us along. He will bring us to that place. There are times that we'll never understand it. And God says, look, you don't need to understand it. I've got this. All you have to do is just hold my hand. Don't let go. I'll get you through this. So often we just, we've got to understand it because then and only then can we control it. Listen, when you can't understand what God's doing in your life, you just have to trust him sometimes. Because that, those thoughts and those feelings of God's integrity and God's faithfulness, those are unchangeable and unmovable. Our feelings are very changeable and very movable. And so the next question this morning that is an elephant in the living room that needs to be asked is simply this. Is medicating anxiety okay? Now please remember my preface. I'm not exercising myself in matters too high for me. And I do believe that there are biblical answers and that there are answers of faith for uh, depression and various uh, uh, mental and emotional problems. There are some that I know are way, way too high for me. Uh, Things such as uh, bipolar disorder. That seems to be uh, so common today and No one seemed to talk about it years ago, and I don't know if it was how much it was there years ago or how much that some of it is just the uh, kind of the the complications that come from a very dysfunctional society and culture in which we live. But listen, let me say this. Medication for mental and emotional disorders is, and, and this is my opinion, all right, you got to do Romans 14. It's up. You, you got to do what's right for your conscience. But in my opinion, medication is not any more sinful in and of itself than physical medication. The problem lies with diagnosis, with side effects, and the long-term dangers. Listen, I told you about breaking my ankle. The doctor prescribed me Vicodin. And you know what? I, I, I'm like, I don't want to take medicine. I'm just going to tough it out. But I found that I couldn't sleep. 
I mean, I'm uncomfortable. It wasn't the pain per se that was bothering me. It was just the discomfort. And I found that just taking one Vicodin, I mean, I had a prescription for a month's worth. I took one Vicodin before uh, I went to bed, and I was able to get some sleep. And I thought, that's mild. That's nothing. And so I did that for about three weeks. I still had plenty of pills left in the bottle. And so um, I thought, well, that's just one every night before I went to bed. Certainly that couldn't be harmful. And so I tried to stop taking them. Listen, I didn't sleep a wink for almost three nights. About the third night, about halfway through it, I finally was able to doze off. I mean, I am wide awake, mint on me. I'm not even, it was just miserable. I wanted to sleep, I needed to sleep, but I couldn't sleep. That's one Vicodin. You know what I learned from that? I learned, wow, that is some powerful, powerful stuff. And it never zoned me out, and it never, I couldn't even tell any effect from it. I got no high from it, but it told me that these are very powerful medications. And listen, taking pain medicine is not sinful, but there are times where it may be dangerous or maybe not helpful either. Many times in the long run, in the long term, these medications are indeed hurtful. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we would have to admit that. Now, the rest of this information here that I'm going to give you did not come from a physician because we all know that today there are many physicians that will just write you a prescription in order to do something so that they can get you out the door. I don't believe that all physicians are quacks, all right? I think there's some good doctors out there, and I'm very thankful for them. So I don't lump them all in the same category, just like I wouldn't appreciate people lumping me as a preacher in the category of all the other preachers. That's unfair. That's unjust. Slanderous even. But many physicians, they don't really know what to do for you, and so they feel like they have to do something, so they write you a prescription, get you out the door. The information I'm getting ready to give you did not come from a doctor. It came from a pharmacist who stands nothing to gain by this information. Here's what this pharmacist said about anxiety, prescription anxiety drugs. These drugs have the benefit of helping with anxiety, but have the pitfall of causing people to get addicted or dependent on them. Drugs such as Xanax, Clonopin, and Valium work by affecting neurotransmitters in the brain to relieve anxiety. They take six months or longer to get off from. They are addictive, and they have side effects such as mental confusion and grogginess. Other drugs such as Zoloft, Prozac, Celexa, and Lexapro They work by increasing serotonin levels in the brain and slow down the brain waves. Side effects are mental confusion, sedative or grogginess, as I said earlier, personality changes, and altered heart rates. Long-term usage will cause chemical imbalance, which can lead to chronic depression. 
So I hope you're, you're seeing what I'm saying. Helping me or putting a salve on today's problem may be actually compounding it and making it worse in the future. It can take months to get back to normal after being on these drugs. So once again, in no way am I saying that it is sinful to be on prescription medication. In no way am I saying that there may not be times where you need it very short term. It's an absolute necessity. Uh, just like with pain medicines for a broken leg or a hip surgery or shoulder surgery or what have you. But be careful and remember that the doctor may not always be as mindful of what is best for you as you do. You take responsibility. Make sure that you are well informed. Which brings me to the next point, and this is a very valuable point in today's message. Can anxiety be treated Without medication. Yes. Potentially. I say potentially. I'm not saying that your case is treatable without medication. That's above my pay grade. That is beyond my area of expertise. I'm simply trying to present to you a very, uh, a very practical and, um, and uh, what's the word, relative teaching of our opening text of what Jesus said about anxiety. How can I help my anxiety disorder without medication? It starts with your diet. Avoid alcohol. Well, that's a given if you're a Christian. Caffeine can affect it. Nicotine. Listen, manage a diet that helps stabilize blood sugar. I'll tell you a little story that that I'm sure she would be fine that that I tell. Uh, there was back when uh, Anna was just uh, a child that uh, Sister Lynn, my wife, was going through some anxiety and just there was she was having some. I mean, the emotions were just swinging back and forth. And we went to some doctors. Hey, what's going on? And uh, one of them prescribed one of these prescription drugs. And, I mean, she was her emotional makeup. It was all over the place. And um, <laughs> I joke now. I didn't joke to her afterward, but I'm thinking, is my wife demon-possessed? <laughs> I mean, it was just, whoa. It was, it was uh, yeah, you know what it was. <laughs> and so they put her on a prescription medicine. And you know what? That just changed what she was going through with another problem that was really worse. It, it exchanged it, but it didn't, it, it, it was worse. So she got off of that. And, and the interesting thing is when it was all said and done, the end of the story, that she didn't have anxiety. She had none of that. She had hypoglycemia, low blood sugar, and it was causing all of those effects. She began to manage her diet for, you know, to maintain her blood sugar level the way that it needed to be maintained. She was back to her normal self. Only demon possessed on occasion. Hi, honey. I know you're watching live stream. 
So that's just an example, and I'm sure that there are more cases like that out there that the doctor just hears your what you're going through, and hey, here's a prescription, I'll write that out, and hopefully that'll work. Let's try something until we find something that works. I don't know about you, but I don't want to take medicine that could be causing all kinds of effects, just like I'm a laboratory rat, let's try something until something works. I, you know, I'm not interested in that. So diet plays a major factor. Do you know, and this one, I'm not real hip on this next one, but I'm going to throw it out there because it might help you. Fragrance therapy. Do you know that they've proven that lavender has a calming effect? Now, I'm not much for that. And even if I was, as a man, I wouldn't tell you. What do you do for your anxiety, Pastor? Oh, you know, I just sit around and smell lavender. Nah, I don't think so. But you know what? If you're suffering with anxiety, hey, it might be worth adding that to your repertoire that maybe it could get you off of these potentially harmful prescription medicines. Hey, how about talking to someone who understands or even maybe writing out what you're going through. You know, we don't always understand why we feel this way. But you know that feelings, when they, when we convert our feelings into words, God gave us words in order to communicate feelings. And when we take those feelings and we put them into words, all of a sudden now, it's something that we can sink our teeth into. It takes an emotion and it turns it into a concept. And we can look at that concept and go, hey, there it is. I got it. I got this figured out. I've shared this with you before. Emotionally, I was in a tailspin after my father got killed in an accident. And I was going through that for months. And I was miserable and it was terrible and I tried everything. I thought, Lord, I'm not bitter. I'm not, it just, just doesn't feel like grief. What is this? And you know, as soon as the Lord helped me put my feelings into a concept, as soon as I was able to grasp that, it's like piece of cake. It was, it was fixed as soon as I recognized it for what it was. I'm not saying that's going to help you in every case. But I am saying that it helped me in that case, and I was very thankful for that. How about exercise? Anxiety produces adrenaline. A nice walk or some light exercise will burn up excessive adrenaline, which, by the way, excessive adrenaline produces more anxiety. I have anxiety. My body produces adrenaline. The excess adrenaline produces more anxiety. And by the way, when you crash off of adrenaline, guess what happens? You get depressed. And so for some of us, if we just would exercise regularly or if we're dealing with anxiety, instead of stewing about it, instead of worrying about it, go on a walk and, um, you know, try to direct your thoughts toward the weather, the birds, the sky, and just spend some time appreciating the Lord, and it might, it might certainly help. How about drinking water? 
dehydration magnifies anxiety symptoms. And then this is just a practical one I wanted to throw in for free, is maybe try turning off your phone and have some alone time. When you're feeling anxious or worrying, sometimes we don't want to be left alone with our own thoughts. But sometimes we need to learn how to be left alone with our thoughts and learn how to manage them. You know, the physical and the mental and the emotional, we are made in God's image. And it's not like that all of these things are just in nice little crisp files and separated from one another. Our physical being, it affects our mental being, which affects our emotional being, and vice versa, and every possible mixture of the above. And so making sure that we are as healthy as we can be physically and mentally, filling our mind with good, positive things, reading some good books, listening some, some, to some good music. I'm not talking about entertaining music. I'm talking about that sweet melody that calms and soothes our soul and gets our heart pointed Godward. Which brings me to my next point, and I'm getting close to being done, and that is this. Will devotional diligence cure anxiety? What do you mean by devotional diligence? Well, I mean praying and reading your Bible. When I was a young uh, assistant pastor and I would counsel with people, my advice was always so shallow. It didn't matter what the problem was. It's just like, go home and read your Bible and pray. And, and I said that because that's all I had. I hadn't been through some of the things that they were going through, and so I didn't understand. And I found out that that in and of itself, the answer to that question, can can devotion and praying and reading your Bible cure your anxiety? Probably not by itself. It certainly helps, though, because what it does is it provides a stable uh, foundation. Listen, if we're battling anxiety, any sport, if you've ever played sports, they always talk about the athletic stance. They talk about having your hips down and your feet spread apart and your shoulders broad, your head up. And what does that do? That gives you some stability so that you can fight or that you can react and so that your, your, your strength is at the core. In the same manner as we fight anxiety or any emotional and mental disorder, having that prayer life and that devotional life provides that foundation and stability that might not cure our problem in and of itself, but it might give us the stability to find and exercise those answers that certainly will give us victory. Exercise requires patience before the results are realized. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6. Get a load of this, folks. Be careful for nothing. God says, don't worry. Don't have anxiety. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now watch verse number 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, 
whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. You know what we've got to learn how to do? We've got to learn to exercise our spirit and force our mind, learn to be able to control our thoughts Not by saying no to anxiety, but rather by replacing it, crowding it out with thoughts that are pure and lovely. And I know we live in a generation where it's hard to find those things, but we can find them in the Scripture. We can find them if we look for them. There's always something that we can be thankful for. There's always something lovely if we just quit worrying about all of those things that is just part of this sin-cursed world, and we start focusing on the good things that God has done and that he is doing. Listen, we can focus on, it's like, you know what? We can focus on what we don't have and then be reminded. I was thinking about something I was going through the other day and what we're dealing with in today's generation, and I'm not whining, but if you talk to any pastor today, any anyone with some age that's been around church, they'll admit that this, this day and age is not the easiest day and age to be a pastor or, or to stick to the Bible and truth and be able to grow a congregation. <laughs> Try that on for size sometime here in 2022. It's not a great time. To be a pastor, but you know what? I don't have to worry about being tortured. And there were much greater men of God than me in, you know, hundreds of years ago that they weren't worried about church growth. They weren't worried about people leaving their church or a church split. They just wanted to continue to serve the Lord and not have to watch their children get murdered brutally in front of them. I thought, what have I got to complain about? Maybe I need to start thinking on those things and think about how good it is rather than worrying about how bad that it is. It can always be worse. Well, pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. Hey, compare yourself to Job. Read Job chapter number one and then uh, tell me how bad that you've got it. Uh, We'll just go from there. Listen, God is never going to tell us to stop doing something that we are incapable of obeying. Remember our text that Jesus told us? He said, hey, fear not, little flock. Stop worrying about all these things that you can't do anything about. God, if God would take care of the the birds and he'd clothe them and feed them, and I mean, all of these things, don't you think that God is going to take care of you? It doesn't mean that life's going to be peachy and perfect. But we don't have to let all of our worries and fears control us because God's going to get us through it in His way and His timing. And so what do we need to do? We need to appropriate God's promises. Once again, Ephesians 4, 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known unto God. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. Jesus is not our psychotherapist. 
We don't lay down on a co- on a couch and talk to Jesus and him, you know, dwell delve into our childhood and how our parents treated us and all of that. No, Jesus said, "Hey, just forget about those things that are past, the things that happened to you that you can't control, and just start remembering that I'm here to give you peace. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Don't let the devil cause that anxiety. Don't let your mind gravitate toward those things. Second Timothy one seven. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind, appropriating God's promises and trusting them. Hey, is this a, just a magical formula that all of a sudden, hey, I'm, I'm, no, but it might be, it might be the right kind of, like we go to physical therapy when we have an injury. I, I like to call it torture. And you, we go through some tough things so that we can be made whole. Why won't we go through some therapy, some what seems to be torture? Oh, I gotta change my diet. I gotta start exercising. I gotta start meditating on the Word of God. I won't do that because it's so much easier to just pop a pill. You'll do that, but you won't. I mean, if someone won't go to physical therapy and just wants to keep chucking down Vicodin, you think, well, that's not very smart. Well, the same thing applies to other things. Listen, once again, I remind you, if you need prescription medicine, I don't know whether you do or not. I'm speaking to those of you that have not tried these other options that the Lord has for us. In conclusion, we are living in some very uncertain times. And what we're dealing with today, I guarantee you, I know Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon preached some messages on this. I doubt seriously that uh, men like Polycarp or you go back to, you know, uh, I don't even know, Jonathan Edwards or Whitfield would have preached a message on anxiety disorder. I'm sure they had it back then, but you don't find a lot of that. But I'll tell you what, you find sermons on this today. Why? Because this is a real problem and it's universal and it's, it is way, way common. Jesus said this would happen. Luke 21, verse 26, he said, Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Yeah, I don't know. The price of gas may get to be 10 bucks real soon. I don't know. My wife and I were talking. We, I mean, she likes to go visit her mother uh, as regular as possible. And and that's a great thing. That's a great desire. But she got to think, it's like, wow, how much is it going to cost to take a trip to Asheville? We haven't thought about it in the past. It's just like, you know, hey, it's time to go visit mom. Let's go. And now we're thinking, how much is it going to cost us? It might be over a 100 bucks just to go visit my mother-in-law. Sorry, I can't afford it. I'm joking. <laughs> that's a mother-in-law joke. But Jesus said this was going to happen. The circumstances cause anxiety, fear. News media plays upon that. If they can make you feel a certain way, then you'll keep watching. As long as you keep watching, they're making billions and billions of dollars and getting more and more power. That's what's happened. The American public would say, I don't care what you say. You guys are a bunch of idiots and you're liberals and 
I don't need you to form my thinking and tell me how to feel. I'm smart enough and intelligent enough to figure it out on my own. Just tell me the facts. Listen, the Apostle Paul was not immune to anxiety. Him and his company experienced many traumatic and scary circumstances. He said in 2 Corinthians 1.8, he said, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Paul's saying, this is how we felt. How did they deal with that emotionally? In verse number 9, he said this, a lesson to all of us. He said, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. Paul said, while he's shipwrecked, look, if I die, I die. If God's done with me, why would I want to keep living? If God's not done with me, then he's going to rescue me and everything's going to be okay. That's what all of us as believers, if we want to help fix some of this anxiety, is we've got to realize that uh, that what our life is all about. It's for God, not for us. Listen, you may need medication. I've said it already on numerous times in this sermon That answer is above my pay grade and expertise. But regardless of how you are dealing with your anxiety problem, every believer needs to learn to let go of control. Not responsibility, but control. And trust God with our lives. Revelation 12 and verse number 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. We all need to exercise that scriptural principle. That's not just for Paul. It's not just for tribulation saints. It's for all of us to give, to turn over our lives and everything in it to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to let you take care of my life. I'll be responsible. I'll do what I'm supposed to do. But the end result and how it pans out, I'm just going to leave that in your hands. In short, just to wrap up this entire message here this morning, is there victory over anxiety? Well, here's a principle to live by. You don't fight for victory. You receive it. We sing victory in Jesus. The victory has already been won on Calvary's cross. If you're saved, then we're going to heaven and we're in God's hands and our life belongs to him. We've been bought with a price. Don't try to fight and strive for your life to be the way that you want it to be. Surrender that to God and say, God, I'll be happy and content as long as my life is what you want to be. I'm going to receive your victory. I'm going to trust you because, after all, I'm just one of your little flock, and you are a good shepherd. Thank God for the principles of God's word. I hope and I trust that the message here today has been a help to you. If it's not a help to you today, maybe it'll be a help for you 
tomorrow. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. We pray, Father, that you would bless this message to the help of your people. And above all, we pray that it would honor and glorify you in its results. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. At this time, I don't feel led of the Lord to have an invitation, but I do hope that you will take the things that we've said here today, and I hope they'll be helpful to you. If you know somebody that's struggling and you feel like that maybe the sermon today could be a help to them, uh, share it with them on Facebook, direct them to our website. They'll be able to listen to this. And I, I prayed and I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, so many people suffer from this, that if this message could help people, then let it go viral. But if it's not a help, then I certainly hope that it helps those who are here today and those that have listened to it here today. God bless you. You are dismissed.